Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Alright, um, we're dealing with the church tonight. Funny we should be talking about the church. We're going to be talking about ourselves tonight. That's, that's us. This is us. We're the church. And we're also going to talk about the communion of the saints. We are in chapter 25 the, and also chapter 26, communion of the saints. This is out of Westminster Confession. If you're saying, what's that? don't have time to explain it. But uh, at any rate, this, uh, these are age-old beliefs of the church, and uh, they just are put together in, in a way that uh, is hopefully easily understood. This is what we believe and kind of in a nutshell, and uh, this is one of the great topics. I think one of the greatest topics that uh, we can think of when you when you think of the church, you have to think of that's the body of Christ. That's us. It's uh, made up of His elect, and uh, we have come to assemble tonight. And so outwardly, we see the church in action in that way. And there's also the uh, uh, the invisible parts of the church, which we will look at. And so uh, why don't we uh, go ahead and get started. We'll get started with prayer. And um, thank the Lord for this particular time that we have as a church. Lord, we thank you for who you are. It's all about you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for your presence here as you are the omnipotent God. Thank you for sharing with us who you are. And you are the God who is omniscient. And all powerful, and we uh, think of all the great excellencies of our great Lord and Savior. And uh, we think of this great subject, the church, and the communion that's involved with it as the saints interact with each other uh, based upon the, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And what an institution you have given, Lord, and we thank you for that. Thank you that we have the joy of being able to meet together now and discuss your word tonight. And uh, pray for your Holy Spirit and empower us to be able to uh, understand these truths a little bit better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, well we just start out by uh, reading. I can get to there because my mouse has all sorts of obstructions here. Uh, got one big table up here now, and it's helping a lot better than than it was. Uh, let's see, here's where I was at. All right, and I have what we're doing is we're taking actually from Zach Whitson's uh, rendition, and his is a lot, lot longer. Uh, we probably won't be able to cover all of those. We might touch on them a little bit. He arranged this one quite a bit different. A lot of times it's the same thing. In this case. He gave us a lot more to work with. Um, there are really six sections about the church on the Westminster Confession or the Baptist Confession or uh, some of the other ones that are that are like that, uh, Philadelphia Confession and such, and Spurgeon's uh, Confession, which is really the 1689 Confession. Anyway, uh, moving on, we'll, we'll just go ahead and read this first one. There, I'm going to take about the first three sections and, and we'll read those. Then we'll come back and uh, just explain a little bit and look at some scripture. Uh, the universal church, which may be called invisible in respect of the internal work of the Spirit, truth of grace. The, the work of the Spirit's inside, right? It's internal. 
So therefore, there's an invisible church. There's also the visible church. It consists of the entire number of the elect, all those who have been, who are, or who shall be gathered into one under Christ, who is the head. This universal church is the wife, the body, the fullness of him, Christ, who fills all in all. So there's quite a, I think, uh, quite a, a big subject to draw from right there in the very first one, isn't it? You could spend an evening on that. Uh, here's the second part. All people throughout the world who profess the faith of the gospel and obedience to Christ on its terms and who, not, who do not destroy their profession by any errors which contradict or overthrow gospel fundamentals or by unholy behavior are visible saints and may be regarded as such. All individual congregations ought to be constituted of such people. So here is the visible church. The first one was the invisible church. And then in the third one, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. And some have denigrated so much that they have ceased to be churches of Christ and have become synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, Christ also has had and always will to the end of time have a kingdom in this world made up of those who believe in him and make profession of his name. So, a little bit about the church there on those first three sections. Uh, church, uh, ecclesia is the Greek term. We get the word church in English. In Greek, it's ecclesia. If you were to use that in the original Greek at the time, before there was a church, that word was around. It was, it was called... Uh, the called out ones, but what it would be is it would be in the political realm. And so you'd have an assembly of people who would convene for a particular purpose. And this is where there would be like a, a democratic state. And you'd have somebody that would call out these people who would assemble, they would come together and meet, and uh, then they would come together and deliberate together. If it would be certain, a certain kind of law or some kind of rule that needed to be decided upon, they would call people out and bring them in to assemble together. And uh, so that's what they did. Well, the church has this uh, same thought in that we are the called out ones. Of course, we do things a little differently than just the, uh, the political realm. Uh, we are gathered together in the name of Christ. And we are invisible in one sense, or visible in another, but it, the church, as it said in that first uh, paragraph there, uh, and you'll notice that what Zach used there was the universal church, and so that doesn't create any problem. If you go to the Westminster Confession, you will see the Catholic or universal church, and somebody will go, uh-oh, they're Roman Catholic then, aren't they? The Westminster Confession, no, <laughs> they're quite the opposite. This was all about reforming, right? But um, the, of course, Catholic means uh, general, it means universal. And the Roman Catholic Church goes against what universal is all about, just by the title to start with, the Roman Catholic Church. And they also believe that they are the only church. Anybody else outside their realm really isn't in the church. Well, that's not universal either. The universal church that is invisible takes in people all over the world, all different denominations, 
can be a part of, of the church. And uh, so that definitely is a different thought than the Roman Catholic Church. So really the, the term Catholic is not in Scripture, but it, it means universal. And so there's the idea. And so in some of the creeds, you'll see the word Catholic. We believe in one holy Catholic Church. Whenever I first heard that, I about blew my top. And I was in a Protestant church. And I go, what in the world are they saying? Well, somebody had to explain it to me. And then later I found out, small oh, C. what's that? Small C Catholic. Yeah, yeah, right. C Catholic. Not the Roman big C Catholic Church. Yeah. And it's totally different, isn't it? Absolutely different. But anyway, Zach went ahead to keep it from being, um, yeah, confusing to all of us, the, the universal church, which is, is exactly what it means. Um, we've been gathered into one. I, I think of Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. There's so many scriptures you can deal with on this, but it's, it's uh, when you think of Ecclesia too, you, you have to think God called his people, the ones he wanted, to come and gather together under the headship of Jesus Christ to be assembled. And uh, I think that is rather fascinating. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25, I think most people are familiar with this. It's talking about husbands and wives. It's talking about marriage here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there you have the church being compared to a wife and Christ is the head, or he would be the, the husband in this case, in that picture. And the, what he would do is that he might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. How are we cleansed? The word of God. That's our cleansing agent. That he might present to himself the church, or the ecclesia, or the called out ones, or the elect ones, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And this is what he's doing to us. He's making us like Christ. He's making us holy. He's making us blameless. Till the one day, all the spots and wrinkles will be gone and will be glorified. But a, a great picture there, isn't it? Super picture. Um, when, it, when it says in that first paragraph, it consists of the entire number of the elect, all those who have been. Now, who would that be? The, the ones who passed. Yeah. The ones in the past. All the saints uh, that were believers. And then the next group are who are. And that's us right now. And who shall be gathered into one under Christ. The ones who are elect and haven't been called yet. In, in the sense of the effectual calling when in, in, in actually uh, time, space, and matter that happens. Uh, but uh, there are people who are going to be in the church. And so the, the church is that. Uh, it takes it all through the ages. And uh, so anyway, you have the, the church triumphant, which would be the ones in the past. And you'll hear this in Reformed theology a lot where they talk about the church triumphant, and then you'll also hear the church militant as we battle on, we battle against sin, Satan, right? Um, we have a constant battle. The world we're battling against. And so the ones who've gone before us, they're the church triumphant. We are the church what? Militant. We're battling. Sounds, sounds like we're in a war. Yeah, we are. Oh, we are, aren't we? <laughs> the church is in a war. Uh, there's a reason for that. Anyway, 
Uh, it's all divine, by divine grace. This is the fellowship of the gospel. It's composed of all of these elect people, and they constitute one church then. And we're united. What happens to the, the called out ones? They're united to Christ. And as they're all united to Christ, they are now united also together. That's an amazing, amazing thought. Uh, church is said to be invisible. It cannot be discovered by the natural eye, just by uh, vision. It's, it's uh, I guess you could say, it, it's not separated from the world in respect of place, but of the state that it is. And so um, it, it lies hidden in, in the invisible church. We'll speak about the visible in a moment. But it's talking about the internal. It's talking about the faith that we have. People can't see our faith. Now, they can see it in our actions and in our deeds and such, right? But the faith is an inside job. They can't see the Holy Spirit doing His thing. That's why they can't understand us. Matter of fact, we have a veil over us. Like a bride has a veil. In, 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 uh, one time, they used to have a veil over the bride. You could not see her face until after she was married and the veil would come off. Well, people can't understand the church. They can't understand our thinking. They hate our ways of thinking. They, they can't see who we really are and what we're really about until they get the veil lifted off their own eyes. Um, but we're, we're invisible in that way. And we know that ultimately it's the Lord and the Lord only who knows everything about us. So we're not invisible to Him, but to other people we are. Uh, we... We as the church have the ministry, that, that's the serving, the, the ordinances, it's the Word of God. Um, we, we are to use uh, the Scripture to bring in the gathering of sinners so that they be in the church invisible uh, also. Per perfecting of the saints. Go to Ephesians 4. We were Ephesians 5, right? We're just using a lot of different Scripture here tonight is what we do on this. 4, uh, 11 through 13... Here's what God had in mind when he brought forth the church. How would you know anything about God if you just had yourself and nobody else? How would you know what he has designed? How would you know, even if you picked up the scripture, would you be able to understand things in the Bible? Well, there would be a lot of things you would be by, by the Holy Spirit. But he has chosen men to teach other men women, all the people in the church. It says this, He gave some as apostles, and that would have been in the very first century there, which we can think of, you know, um, <coughs> Matthew, of course, and uh, John, and uh, Peter, and those 11, one was added, and then later Paul was. Those are apostles. They were the ones who wrote Scripture. Uh, they were the ones who uh, had seen the risen Lord, and that is a, a definite uh, major point because to be an apostle, you have had to have seen the risen Lord and walked with him under his teaching. Uh, knew about that. So he gave some as apostles. Apostles don't live today. They are in the church, but they're the ones that who have been. No longer are there apostles. Although you will hear of people say, well, this is Apostle uh, Dave right over here. He's, he's apostle of this church. People will claim that, but scripturally that can't be. That uh, we know that that's a foundation. Foundation is now being built on. Yeah, and we have it right here. It's right here. So we have our apostles. It's right. The apostles have spoken. Yeah. Right. 
It's either that or the Bible is not finished. And so if other apostles come along, then we say, oh, well, we have to take what they say as being true. And so we'd never have the end of the, the Bible. We'd always have ongoing revelation. Uh, it sounds good in a way. In another way, it doesn't because how do we know? Anybody that pops up and says they're an apostle, then whatever they say has got to be true too, right? So we would be in a real fix if that were the case. That's why we have a closed book. It's closed canon. Revelation says nobody is to add or subtract from this. It's done. It was done by the end of the first century. Matter of fact, it was done somewhere around 90 A.D. when John, the apostle, wrote the book of Revelation. So anyway, uh, apostles, right? And I'm not going to take any more time on that, but also some as prophets, uh, those who are the ones that proclaim the truth, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers, pastor hyphen teachers. Uh, if you're a pastor, you are a teacher. You can be a teacher without being a pastor, but uh, pastors also have to teach, don't they? And we've heard that before where there was a, a man here in town that says he's a pastor of the church, or it really doesn't even use that term, but he would be the what is to be kind of like a shepherd of that church, but he doesn't want to be called a pastor, uh, but yet he's leading a flock in a way. <laughs> did, did I say that right? Okay. Anyway. They have uh, different terminology for everything. So right. So they really wouldn't want to use the word pastor, would they? Even though that's the biblical term. Right. So what is it? I mean, yeah. Like that's that's where it's heading. Yeah. Isn't it like overseer? Yeah, see. Well, that would be biblical. Doesn't Andy Stanley? Andy Stanley denies to use that word right now, and he'd rather use the word CEO. Uh But that that doesn't define what that's really about. (laughs) Anyway, why did God give these apostles, prophets, and evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service? To the building up of the body of Christ or edifying, building it up, right? The body's being uh, built up. Uh, well, how long is that supposed to go? Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Well, we haven't gotten quite there yet. We haven't gotten completely to the unity of the faith, but we're learning, aren't we? We're being more and more unified, you know, one in Christ. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's ultimately to the time that Christ comes back. And we're to be equipped, we're to be taught to learn that. You have something, then you give it to somebody else. You know, all of us are teachers in that sense. There's an, an official pastor-teacher position, somebody teaching, but at the same time, uh, this is what the church does. And they teach God's word. At, at some periods along the line, there have been some who have been gathered unto Christ um, they're from added from time to time it can be day to day right uh, sometimes it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of adding sometimes there can be a whole lot uh, but um, we know this that none of them shall be lost um, oh I, I think about uh, the, the pastor means shepherd pastor teacher poyman, shepherd uh, Jesus said uh, that he was the shepherd in John 10. Uh, you get a good picture of that. And he says, other sheep I have, right, which are not of this fold that I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, although there are 
under shepherds, but he's, he's the main one. That's out of John 10, 16. So anyway, um, looking a little bit about this, uh, this invisible church, the spouse of Christ, the, the glory of this church is internal. People can't see that the glory of that. Uh, on an outward part, you take uh, the Catholic Roman Catholic Church, and they try to bring in some kind of a beauty by all the different uh, sights and smells, the, the, the gold, the incense, and all the things that, that look like the tabernacle, you know, and it's to, to be really uh, appealing to the senses. In a lot of that way, and so they are considered to be a very visible church, but there's really nothing inwardly there. So they like to call themselves a visible church. But um, the Catholic uh, invisible church ultimately is composed of true believers. Although there will be people that profess to be believers who are not. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the invisible part. Go to First uh, Corinthians twelve. It's dealing with uh, gifts, spiritual gifts that are part of the uh, body of Christ. And verse 18, when he's talked about the, the gifts, and then he says there's unity where there is one, and yet there's diversity, which means many. So we are one, and yet we are many. The one and the many. Fascinating, isn't it? Verse 18 says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, you, 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 right? Each one, in the body, just as he desired. He did it. And he uh, places who he wants, where he wants. And uh, so you have, um, I think there, this would be what a visible church is in the sense that the church is made up of man, men, women, right? They're, they're mortal beings. Um, they see, they can be seen. The members are known in a church. People can see people going into a church, so they can be a place where they assemble. Um, that's public. Uh, the worship is a worship that is seen, right? And so that's a visible aspect of the church, the visible, um, the assemblies. Um, there's not just one place where the church worships. It's all over the world in many different places, right? Uh, and it's not one particular congregational type church, not one particular denomination as a Catholic church would differ on us with that. Um, the reason I keep saying Catholic church, by the way, is this is what they were up against. This is one of the reasons why they wrote what they did. So many times they had to battle... Here's what they believed. They believed in one head. Catholic Church believed in the Pope as being the head of the church. They still do today. We vastly differ from that. That is um, absolutely unscriptural, isn't it? The head is Jesus Christ. The Romans say, no. No, no, no. Our Pope is the head of the church. And he makes decisions, and yeah. he can't make an error. Um, so the visible church can take in hypocrites, uh, 
formal professors of Christianity, not real, but they appear to be in the church. And uh, Jesus spoke much about this. He, he spoke about a floor where you would have the wheat and the tares together, right? So don't be surprised when you see hypocrites in a church or we're talking about people who are not really real, but they appear to be real. He, uh, you know, that wheat and the chaff, that's Matthew three twelve. He takes a field, for instance, where you have the tares as well as the, you have the, the tares and the wheat, right? Jesus showed that there are the false and the true in this. You have a net that Jesus speaks about where you have a fisherman and, of course, you gather bad fish together along with the good fish. I don't know how drum are up in Michigan, but uh, around here you catch drum fish and just throw it back in the river. It's no good. But, but I've understood that here in Missouri we take catfish and we take it home and eat it. And, and, and everybody goes, wow, you got catfish? But up in Michigan, they catch a catfish, and they just throw it back out in the river. I don't. Do, do you actually eat it? Michigan? Like, uh, catfish one time. <laughs> one time. Oh, one time. <laughs> but they're different up there, aren't yeah, they? they are. Yeah. yeah right. That would be a, ba a bad fish, right? Okay. So, anyway. So, so you see a floor, you see a field, you see a net. Uh, how about a great house where you, there you have like the, the vessels of every kind? You have the, the weak vessels, or, or not the weak vessels, but the, the vessels that are made, they're, they're dishonorable. And then you have the honorable vessels that be made in a great house. Anyway, um, there are all sorts of scriptural professions that people will make. But God knows who those ones are. And of course, he's the one that searches the heart. He knows the heart. Um, so, church, the elect being made up of that kind of covers ah no yeah yeah we covered the the purest church didn't we the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error that means there's no church that has they will have absolute truth of scripture but are they absolutely pure well christians are absolutely pure aren't they <laughs> even the best of our worship is mixed um the purest churches have mixture and error. No church of Christ is perfect, is it? I know I've always uh, thought about a situation where somebody says, you know, they go from one church to another, you know, the church hoppers. And of course they're looking for that perfect church. If they ever find it, they're going to kick this, they're going to kick me out if I happen to go there, right? Because <laughs> I am not perfect. And uh, there is no such thing. And so there is purity mixed with error, um, hopefully not error doctrinally, but it can be error in, in the way of living, but we know that there's error in doctrine also. And so uh, that's covered how that's even said in one there. And um, some have degenerated on that second line on number three. Some have degenerated churches to much, so much that they have ceased to be churches of Christ. And have become synagogues of Satan. Boy, that sounds hard, doesn't it? Wow. That's taken out of Revelation, though. Synagogue yeah. of Satan. That they're actually Christ called um, a church at a particular location, the synagogue of Satan, and uh, they no longer had truth there. Uh, Satan was the master. He was the head of that church. 
Um, so sad to say, but that can definitely happen. But uh, so it goes. So there can be mixture and error, but it can get to the point where it doesn't even have truth anymore. It's gone. Um, but anyway, I like that. Nevertheless, Christ always has had, always will, to the end, have a kingdom in this world made up of those who believe in him, make profession of his name. The church has always been here. From the time of the Dark Ages to the Reformation, there was one basically church that you would call the Roman Catholic Church, but there were true people in that church, true believers. And uh, some of them, uh, would rebel against that and we'd see what would happen. Many of them would be persecuted and killed all the way through the Reformation and onward. Uh, that happened. But there's always been God's church. It's always been there. Uh, all the way up to the time that he comes back, the church will continue to exist. But uh, you know, we're in that kingdom, right? All those who profess his name that are true. Um Remember Elijah? Remember he's out there by himself. And at the time, it seemed like he was the only one. I, even I, am left. Right? Now what did, what did God tell him? I have 7,000 other chosen ones. They're out there. I'm the only one, Elijah says. The Elijah complex. Um... God has his people. Sometimes it's not seen, and that, you know, there's the, the invisible sense, but um, the uh, Roman Catholic Church, as far as error, I, I, I don't, did, I, did I say anything about that? They have a pope, and their councils can never error. As far as they're concerned, they can't make a mistake because the pope is representing Christ here on earth. He is in the place of Christ, as they teach. So you see the heresy of all that's involved? So therefore, if this is Christ, he's representing Christ right here. He is the head. That Pope is. He's also called the Holy Father. He can't error. But all we have to do is look at the evidence and we would see error all over the place. Uh, but we do know we have the faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. Greater or less, whatever it is in all generations, this church uh, still stands against uh, error. Uh, the church will always be preserved upon earth. God has never left the church. He would never annihilate it. It's always been here. Matthew 16 says, Upon this rock, the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Matter of fact, it would be good to turn there for a moment. This is Jesus telling the disciples that he was going to build his church. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 18. I also say to you, speaking of Peter, that you are Peter, and that is um, Petros there, a little rock. And upon this rock... I will build my church, my called out ones, Ecclesia, and the gates of hell, Hades, will not overpower. Can't stand against it. So he's saying, Petrus, you're just a little rock. Upon this rock, on this confession of faith, on this person of Jesus Christ, I'm going to build a church, right? Peter is not claimed to be Pope there. He's just a little rock. 
who really is still Simon, <laughs> but um, he actually uses his name Peter there, which you know, rock strong, right? Um, section four from Zach's, and, and I know there's actually like 16 of these, and I'll probably have to skip through those, but um, want to make an emphasis on this because we're basically comparing his first few verses, the first six of the Westminster Confession. We'll read number four. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in him by the appointment of the Father is vested in a supreme and sovereign manner all power for the calling, institution, order, or government of the church. The Pope of Rome cannot in any sense be head of the church, but he is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition who exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God, who the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. My, what do they call the Pope here? The Antichrist, which most of the reformers did. Uh, Luther called him that. You'll see Calvin calling him that. Many others. Um, and, but that means that he stands against Christ, but he could even be that one person that we think of uh, the Antichrist that we're all familiar with and have heard so much about. Um, there's no other head. There's no other mediator. There's no other head. We can look in Colossians. Um, my, there's plenty about that and, and that. Of course, we've looked at Ephesians. Um, he's the head of the church. Um, Peter is not the vice regent uh, uh, of Christ there. And that's, that's where they take it off. And Peter, uh, to them, was considered to be the first pope or the first head of the church. Um, anyway, Christ has the essential right to rule, to use his creatures at his pleasure for his own glory, right? And as mediator, he's a, there's a universal headship. Um, look at Ephesians 1.22. A few passes. Ephesians has a lot to do about the church, doesn't it? had a couple scriptures dealing with that. We were just in the Gospels, Jesus speaking about building the church. Of course, in Ephesians, it is being built at that time. Ephesians 1.22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, churches, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Right now, the head is in heaven. The body is where? Well, right here on earth. Amazing picture, isn't it? He's the head. We're down here. We're actually his body. This is how he's operating now. He, he lived here for a little while, 30 plus years, in a body, human form, and then he left. And when he left, then he set up the church, and it's us. Um, the Father gave him to be head over all things, all things. What's that remind you of there, Alan? <laughs> That's a pretty good song, isn't it? <laughs> it says a lot right there. Let's go to Colossians one eighteen. He is also head of the body, the church, or the ecclesia, the called out ones, the elect, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Oh, let's see, the Jehovah's Witnesses love this passage. See, he's the firstborn from the dead. Uh, firstborn. Um, he himself will have to come first place in, in everything. 
Um, he's the beginning, the firstborn. The firstborn there means the preeminent one. You can have uh, the picture of it of Isaac and Ishmael. Who was born first? Ishmael. But who was in God's plan? Isaac. That means preeminent, though. It's not talking about an order. Here's number one. Here's number two. It's talking about the preeminence. Um, uh, Isaac. Jacob. Jacob and he had his brother Esau. They were twins. Which came out first? Esau did. He was the firstborn in that sense. Number one. Number two. But who was the preeminent one that God used? Again, that, that was Jacob. Uh, but anyway, that's who Christ is. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the preeminent one. Of course, he raised up from the dead. We know that. Uh, but he has first place in everything. First place. Um, yeah, the, verse 15 that we use. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I'll say, see, he was just born like everybody else was. So therefore, he's not, you know, true deity. He, he's... He's a he's a son of God, but he's really not he's really not God. He was firstborn. What does firstborn mean? Uh, there again, it's preeminent. He's the preeminent one, so uh, means everything. And it's it's just showing who Christ is. Um, have we done? Did we do Colossians two nineteen? Did we read that earlier? Verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head, and from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. And there he's comparing uh, the body of Christ, belonging to God, belonging to Christ. Christ is the head. Colossians has a lot to do about the head of the church. Also, Colossians is about the deity of Christ and in uh, chapter 2, he will bring that forth. Uh, it's his preeminent place that he has. So he's the sole exclusive head of the church, uh, whether it be visible or invisible. I'm going to probably leave off on that. What Zach has here are some really good points. Um, and I'll just touch on it. I'm not going to read them. The ex he's talking about the authority that Christ has. And number five, and number six, the members of these are saints. Uh, they've been called by Christ. A lot of this we've already been talking about. Um, he gives us power and authority to carry on the order of worship and discipline. It's, it's from Christ, but he also gives us the commands and rules to go by there. Um, it's all under, there he talks about bishops, elders, uh, deacons. Um, that's the leadership of the church. Um, he talks about people being gifted in the church, the Holy Spirit, um, work of pastors, and um, the pastors, the elders are obligated to preach the word. But it also says somebody doesn't have to be a preacher or a pastor, I mean, uh, to be able to teach the Word of God, and that is, uh, they can perform it too. Um, but you do have to be able to teach to be a pastor. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, matter of fact, I remember a, a pastor at First Baptist Church when I was going there in the 70s, and he said that he was not a pastor 
as far as one who he said called himself a pastor, but he was not really a teacher of the word. He didn't really want to call himself that. He was one that went out to the people, and he was. He was really good talking with people. Man, he knew your name. He'd only met you once, and and you know this is a big church, right? And he he would he would treat you like, you know, like people in the church should. I mean, it was, it was real friendly. But he was not a really good teacher of the word. He even said he really wasn't a teacher of the word. Uh, and I found that rather incredible as I grew in the word. And I remembered him saying that. And he didn't want to really uh, to teach the word, and especially verse by verse or explaining passages. Uh, more or less, uh, be good was the, the message. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, kind of flying through this uh, where each member some of this goes into the very next one and, and uh, which deals with how the church works together as a unity and so I'm going to fly on to the next one then it's called the communion of the saints and we're not talking just the you know the, the, the bread and the wine here okay the bread and the juice or what have you uh, we're talking about really the communion of the saints which starts with being united with Christ as we are united with him then we also we commune with each other we commune with God we commune with each other we we talk we communicate we we respond we, we react to that so let's read the first one here all saints who are united to Jesus Christ so this would be the church visible the church invisible especially the one which is really the, it's the true church their head Talking about Jesus Christ, united Jesus Christ, our head. By His Spirit, right? Spirit is the one that baptizes us or places us into. That's what baptize means. To immerse us into or to place us into Christ. And it's done by the Spirit. And by faith, we must believe, although they are not by this made, by this made one person with Him, have fellowship in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. All of those things we have with him also being united to one another in love they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obligated to the orderly performance of such public and private duties as lead to their mutual good both in the inward and outward man uh, there we have we're united to Christ we're united to the very head and also he will say here as we are united to him all of his graces his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, his glory, we are united to too. What did Paul say? That, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the sufferings, as Paul said, that I may know that to, to really take Christ in. And so we're, we're united in all of those things that uh, make up who Christ is, although we're not him uh, we're not little Christ in that sense. We're not deity, but we are made like him, and we are to be uh, found in union with him, sharing there. Um, between Christ and believers, there are two kinds of unions. One is a legal union, where you're declared united with Christ. This was done before the foundation of the world. It's a, it's a legal union, uh, where he's the federal head. He's, Christ is representing us and he brings us into him. Then there is the spiritual union. And the spiritual union is, 
hesitate to use this word, but it's where mystery comes in. There's a mystical aspect in the sense that uh, there's this union that we have with Christ. We can't see it. You can't see that we're united. We're not holding hands with Him, but we are in Him. We're united to Him as more than anything else that we can be united to. When you think of a, a married couple, for instance, they are united. Matter of fact, they've been, as far as their holy matrimony was concerned, the two became one. They, that's how united they were. Well, in Christ, it's even more so uh, as we look in, in for, for eternity. Uh, Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are, what? In Christ, Jesus. Second um, Corinthians thirteen five. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. It says, know that Jesus Christ is in you. Uh, John fifteen four. Abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches, John 15, right? Everybody's heard that. And then he says, we're in him. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stick in me. Stick around, right? Live there. Uh, John 15, 5 is talking about that. The tree and its branches. You have a tree, you have the branches. The branches are in the tree. So he uses that illustration. He gives us all these worldly pictures, earthly pictures, that we can actually see, feel, and touch because... How can you understand being in somebody until you see what Christ is saying? This this uh, uniting that we have is incredible. Uh, how about the building and a foundation? Look in First Peter, chapter two, verse four and six. First Peter two. I know I'm going awful fast. I see these scriptures and then. You start turning there, and then I want to move on. I'm sorry about that. I'm getting too many passages in one night. But First uh, Peter two five. By the way, what does Peter's name mean? Rock, stone. You know, little rock. He's a little rock, Arkansas. It's a scriptural town. There's some good ministries come out of there. Luke would like that. Luke was there. Yeah. Head ministry. Um, Dennis Rainey's down there. Also, the guy that introduces Alistair Bick's show. What's his name? Isn't it Bob something? Yeah. What is it? Bob something. Bob. <laughs> Bob the tomato out of Veggie Tales. No, you're right. It is Bob. Yeah. Now, I could normally think of his name. Family life today. Yeah. <laughs> you also, as living stones, stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So we're being built up in this spiritual house. And, uh, of course, the cornerstone is who? Christ. We're all a part of this building. 
boy, you, look at all the illustrations you use. Like a tree and its branches, the building and the foundation. Um, how about this one? We've already used it. The husband and wife, right? When we were in Ephesians 5 earlier. The union between the head and the body. You know, a, a, a real body. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Uh, close, intimate. Um, one spirit. One spirit. We're baptized into the church by one spirit. The Lord, he that joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17. How about this one? We're said to die in the Lord and to sleep in Jesus. Have you ever thought of that one? You know how we are in Christ? We live in Christ? Um, Revelation 14.13. Interesting. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Who die in the Lord. Die in Christ. Um, look in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, the rapture chapter. Four, fourteen. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. By the way, we don't believe in soul sleep. As soon as you die, then you sleep for a while. Uh, as quick as it can, we can even imagine, within an instant, we have gone from here to there, just like that. Quicker than you can blink an eye. And by the way, if you look in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> How quick is that? Bat your eye. It's quicker than that. So, but in, at any rate, from the time that we become Christians, we're so united to Him as, as in a tree, branches in a tree, or as being a building, you know, that He's the foundation, or as being husband and wife. Um, Wow, we're, we're in him. How else can you say it? So he gives us these illustrations, and I, I got a feeling that's the best way to do it because I, I have a lack of words. All I can say is we're in Christ. I dare you to look that up how many times you will find in Christ in the New Testament. Um, raised up together with him. Right? Um, ooh, I like, I like uh, Romans 8.37. About us being more than conquerors. But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. It's through Him. We get, you know, this is the church militant, and we're also the church victorious, and we conquer through Him, uh, in Him. That's uh, that's how we conquer. Uh, we're we're made partakers of Christ. We're complete in Christ. Did we look in Colossians three ten? We have enough scripture turning tonight. Do we? <laughs> Colossians um, two ten. That's what it is. Look at verse nine. Some of us have arthritis. <laughs> 
Okay. For in him, okay, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That, that's talking about Jesus Christ is God. He is deity, right? And in him, you have been made complete. Okay, here's deity. Now, this doesn't say that we are to be deity, and some take that passage and go, oh, well, that makes us little gods. We're deity too. No, no, no. But he's saying we have, we are in him, we, we are made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, That's, that means spiritually, we were placed in him, circumcised, put into the body of Christ, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him, with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the work of God. Whenever he rose, when he died on the cross, we were somehow with him. I don't know how else to say it, but we were with him somehow. We weren't living yet, but yet somehow legally, that's the way that he's saying, he's the federal head here, uh, we were with him whenever he raised up from the dead. We were with him, it says right there. And verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were dead in your sins, he made you what? Alive. What's the rest of it? Together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. With him, in him. We're talking about a real uniting, aren't we? United in Christ. This is what communion of the saints is. This is communion. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 22, 23. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and ye are Christ and Christ is God's. Matter of fact, if you look in Romans 8, it says that we also inherit... Um, right along with uh, being co-heirs with, with Christ. I have one. Yes. Uh, Romans 5, 17. Oh, yeah. For it because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We were in Adam, in that sin, and then he takes us out of Adam, brings us into Christ, giving us this righteousness, this, uh, this grace that caused this righteousness, and we reign. This righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ, and of course we're linked with him. Don't, yeah, don't you, don't you love that? We were reigning in death, right? Our death was reigning over us in Adam. And uh, there it is. The abundance of grace put us there. What a uniting. Uh, forming one body. We all have a like precious faith. We are in common, aren't we? That is the communion, commonness, because of the person of Christ. Every one of us came from somewhere different. Every one of us had different kinds of backgrounds and, and, and upbringings even from different, not only different states, but different countries. I like that. I can really use that. All over the world. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating? You can meet somebody from uh, all, from somebody in Europe and if they're a Christian, 
It's it's like if you start talking about what you have in common, Christ, and it's like there's there's no difference all of a sudden. They're true Christians, united to one, forming one body, like precious faith. Saints by profession are united in one body and bound to maintain. That's what that second one is dealing with. Bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion and worship of God. That means we are to go to where the church meets. We're put into the body, but the body meets at a place where they uh, then worship God and, and do their serving. It's essential that uh, this goes on. Can you imagine being part of the church, but the church would never meet anywhere? We'd just all be our own, doing our own little things? You couldn't see anything in that, could you? But God has designed that His people meet. So the very first one is they ought to assemble together for joining in, in public worship. You see that right away as soon as the church is born in Acts 2, 42. They're meeting together steadfastly. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Do we do those things? 2,000 years later, we're doing the same thing that they were doing. And uh, so there it is. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. In Hebrews, it says, "Not do not be forsaking the assembling uh, together. So the church is a, a body where people meet together and they celebrate uh, the Word of God. They celebrate that communion, too, whenever they take the, those elements. They're partakers of one bread, though, and that being Christ. Uh, so that's one thing about maintaining the Holy Fellowship. A second one is that uh, they're there to edify one another, to build up. Romans chapter 14, 19. Follow after the things wherewith one may edify another. So it's one another. We're in Christ. And then how many one another's do you think there are in the New Testament? One another. That's what we're, we're here to help each other grow in Christ. I need you guys. I need you. Somebody else needs you. We need you. You need us. Right? That's what it is. That's that's how a church functions. And uh, with without that, uh, how would we ever be able to grow? That's the way that God has designed it to be. Uh, thirdly, um, saints are to relieve each other in outward things. James 2.5 says, Being rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which God has promised to them that love Him. Uh, and then he talks about the poor that are there, that are here to support somebody and the, the needs are as far as they're concerned. and um, It's the way the, the church functions. Uh, sympathizing with others. Ministering to other necessities. 1 John 3.17 Um Another one uh, that, that is, I don't think it's in Zach's, but it's dealing with, um, there's a section three, and I think he kind of ran two together with three, and then he kind of put three in another spot. But um, lastly, but not, not least, um, we were talking, I believe, Sunday, whenever the saints are to be giving to each other, and whatever I have, if I can help one out, then I can give of mine to theirs, whether it be money, whether it be some kind of possession or something that they need, 
but yet it's still not a communism, and it's one of those things that what you have is yours. It's not a communism, but you might be able to use it. It might be an opportunity to be uh, doing that. So the saints' communion with one another takes it into the aspect that they helped each other. Um, they would sell their possessions because the, the saints were becoming poor in Jerusalem. Many that remember that aspect? Um, and so they, they needed food. They needed shelter or whatever. And they took them in. Uh, and then they started running out of money. So they started taking collection way out in the Gentile world. They brought that for the church there in Jerusalem. That was rather big at that time. And uh, so it, it, that's how uh, the church works. It functions. It helps each other. Where, wherever there is a wound, you know, in a body, there are parts of the body, cells that come along and start mending it right away. You know, they come in and those cells come in there and kind of cover it up and they, it starts working. And uh, that's, that's the way the church works. Because that's, why would he use that illustration of the body? That's probably one of the best illustrations that, that we have of all that we saw. Uh, the body of Christ. Anyway, the church and the communion of the saints. I was going to say that uh, Thomas Watts called it the body mystical. The body mystical. Yeah. And that's mystical. well said. Was that Watson? Watson. Because uh, yeah. he's one of my favorite guys that I love to quote from. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that phrase. It, the, mis, the mystical. Uh, and, and, and it is. It goes beyond our understanding, doesn't it? But we're just like how our body is and how those cells are, are all there and make up this one great big body. That's the way that we are. You can kind of get a, a thought on how bigger role that each cell has, each one of us has in this huge body as small as we may seem individually and even a little corporate group like this but uh, God uses it uh, for his body and, and it functions. Amazing, isn't it? it and it is. It, it's a mystery. It, you, know, you try to get as uh, much understanding as you can and we have a lot of understanding there. And God designed every aspect of how it was going to do, from the way that the worship was going to be to uh, the leadership to the gifts that each one uses. My, there are tons of passages. We just touched on a few tonight about the church. But that's what the confessions do. They take all those passages together, put them there, and then they kind of divide it up into these little articles that kind of help us out a little bit just packaging them together. And so on one night we studied uh, one great big topic that really you could take months on yeah. and, uh, and still not run dry. But uh, I cheated. I did it real quick, did it in one night because we have to move on to uh, another chapter. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.